0: apologize, this morning, this morning I mentioned my kids and grandkids, didn't mention my great-grandkids. You know, four or five years down the stream of time, someone might mention that to them, they might get offended, so I'll mention my great-grandchildren, glad to have them. I have two, and they're both here. Uh, appreciate my family, I hope you all appreciate your families too. My family's been very supportive of the work and all that I've done through the years, encouraged me, and uh, that means a whole lot means a whole lot. I, Mike and I held a meeting together up at Yale, Washington about four or five years ago or six or seven. I preached Sunday through the first Wednesday and then Mike preached Thursday through the last Sunday. I told him, I'm preaching first because once you le- hear Mike, you won't want to listen to me anymore. <laughs> I said, he's a better preacher than me just ask his mother. And everybody said, oh, no, no, no. Mike preached that Thursday night and nobody said anything except this big tall colored boy by the name of George. He's he, he's always a hugger and a smile. He came in, pat me on the shoulder and said, Jerry, I hate to tell you, but his mama's right <laughs> But it is encouraging to see your children and your grandchildren all interested in the church. And I know when they're not, that ain't, brings heartaches that uh that you have to deal with from time to time. And we deal with a certain amount of that ourselves. Well <clears throat> Given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience, of goodness, well the kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But he that liketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and is forgotten that was once purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you into the everlasting kingdom, and that's old King James, not New King James. Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, faith of God is brother kind as well. Like the sermon this morning, there's a lot of a lot of directions you could head off in, you know, in, in that passage. What what are we going to do? Well, we're going to talk about virtue. About the word virtue. Virtue is used in the New Testament about seven different times. I I heard a guy talking about virtue one time Brought into, I think it was a chapter reading we had in the New Testament on Sunday nights. We cover the New Testament chapter at a time, either Mark 5:30, Luke 6:19, or Luke 8 and verse 46, because those all three speak about virtue came out of Jesus and healed somebody. As a matter of fact, the account in Luke 6:19, I said I think it says all people that were around wanted to touch him. For they knew that virtue came out of him to heal someone. I've always thought of virtue as something that was morally pure. You talk about a virtuous woman, you a virtuous girl. So that set me to study in a little bit. Because that didn't seem to fit the idea of virtue coming out of Jesus, moral goodness coming out of Jesus, moral purity coming out of Jesus to heal somebody. I thought, well, maybe there's a slant on that I don't quite understand. <laughs> And uh, it's a little suspicious, maybe there were two different Greek words translated "virtue." And guess what? There are. There are two different words. That word uh, "dunamis" is the one that's found in uh, found in the passages that talk about virtue coming out of Jesus and healing someone. And that "dunamis" that's similar to our word "dynamo" or "dynamic." It means power. That's basically what that word means. It means power. But then when you go to these other passages, uh, the word virtue is found three times right here in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, He has called us to majesty and virtue in verse 3. And then it says, Add to you faith, virtue, and to virtue knowledge. The two other places the word virtue is used there. And that doesn't seem to, the idea of power doesn't seem to fit that too much. But like I said, it comes from a different Greek word. Uh, and that word, uh, if I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, and I'm not sure if people pronounce it. I don't know exactly Jack has pronounced it anyway. A-R-E-T-E. And that's the different word. And the word virtue in the Old Testament, of course, is a Hebrew word, but it means the same as this A-R-E-T-E. And just what are we talking about? Add to your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. What does it mean by virtue here? Uh in a way, you know, we call these, sometimes, people refer to these as seven Christian virtues. And then realize the word virtue is one of those. They use the word characteristics, seven different Christian characteristics. The word virtue, according to what I can read and all, it means force or strength of mind, manliness, valor, excellence, a strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness, strong will resolve my definition would kind of be determination conviction steadfastness in other words it's, it conveys with it the idea of a strong mind and that's why you use the reason the word virtue is used in both of these different words it means power all right but it means power of mind a strength of mind the other means a power the ability to heal people that came out of jesus and that's the reason that the word virtue uh, virtue was used for both of these you know, we have to be careful when we start criticizing these scholars that have translated our, our good translations of the Bible. If, you're not, if we're not careful, we'll become a little bit arrogant, a little bit egotistical in those areas. We pick up a concordance, and we see the Greek meaning of this word is so-and-so and so and so and there, and we'll draw the conclusion that these Greek scholars didn't know what they were doing. Listen, it takes more than picking up a Greek a lexicon to make you a Greek scholar, it takes more than two or three courses of Greek in college to make you a Greek scholar. The people that translated these trans- translations, the good ones, I'm not talking about the, the ones where guys are real loose about the translation, but those, these scholars that translate, these are scholars. I hope I didn't wake the babies up. <laughs> but they were scholars. And you and I have got to be very careful when we take on to differ with these scholars. Because like I said, it takes more than two or three Greek colleges to make you a Greek scholar. I'm not saying there's not some benefit in some of that. Because words have changed in meaning through the years. A, a language is a living thing. An English language is a living thing. Words that mean something to us now, years ago maybe meant a little bit different. The word charity in most people today means uh, welfare. Helping someone that's, that's uh, you know, destitute or something. Where's the word charity? Just simply meant love. And of course, love is expressed in helping your fellow man and in a lot of different ways. The word minister to people's minds today means a preacher. In the New Testament, it simply meant servant. So languages do change in the way we use it. Now, when I was going to college at OU, can I mention that here? Oh, fuck yeah. Well, when I was going to college at OU, and this was back in the late 1950s, I went to the library and they had books. That took our English words and traced them back, back, and you could go on back and see how the words were used here and here and here. You get back to the 1600s, and the word virtue there was understood to mean the, the way it defined it. The English word was the ability to get effects, effective, effectiveness. And so you can see the power that came out of Jesus to heal people. It was effective, it got effects. And the thing he's talking about here in this other word, strength of mind, strong mind, determination, that is effective. It gets effects. So you can see why they use the same word to translate that. So be careful about thinking that these Greek scholars just simply didn't know what they were doing. Because that is not the case. And if we're not careful, we'll get a little bit arrogant. So I'm not too big on going back and getting too much into Greek, but... I'm not against it, and I do use it somewhat, all right, because it'll help explain some things, perhaps a little more to us. So now he says, add to your faith virtue. Give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. Rather than talking about seven things, you might even talk about eight there, diligence. <laughs> the word diligence means that you're not lazy or slothful. In the book of Hebrews, here he talks about being not slothful, but diligent. Slothfulness, that means laziness, is the opposite of diligence. Diligence is someone that's on the ball. You take care of things when they need you to take care of. Put the effort and all you need to do to, d- to take care of things. So he says, with diligence, make, uh, with diligence, add your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, these things. In other words, take it very serious. How many of you have ever sat down and looked at these characteristics and considered yourself as to whether you need to develop yourself in some of these areas like faith, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, and etc. Well, says, we ought to be diligent in doing that. That's what he says. And he says, if you do this, you're giving diligence to make your calling and election sure. So we ought to be diligent in these things. And he says, add to your faith virtue, strength of mind, determination. See, that's the way you kind of start out in Christianity. When you converted, become a child of God or Christian, you ought to feel this zeal, and this determination to serve the Lord and do what's right and try to convert everybody else that you can come around. I know when I was young, first got in evangelistic work, everybody I looked at was a prospect to me in my mind. <laughs> if they didn't go to church with us, they were a prospect in my mind. I don't, I don't look at people so much that way anymore, and that's probably a shame. That's really probably a shame, you know. Because uh, every soul out there is a prospect. If they're not a member of the church and serve the Lord like we feel that they ought to be serving the Lord. They are a prospect. And when you become a Christian, you ought to start out with that determination. That steadfastness. The conviction. And that's where you start with and you add these other characteristics onto that. Uh, the uh, other place that, that word virtue is used is, is in... Uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 and 9 where he tells you to think on certain these things and he says if there be any praise if there be any virtue if there be anything to add to your steadfastness no well think on these things uh, the Bible Proverbs 12 verse 4 says a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband and like I said the Hebrew word here means the same as this A-R-E-T-E or whatever it is it's, it's C-H-A-Y-I-L that's the English spelling of, of the Hebrew word, Now, Says a virtuous woman is a great value to her husband. A woman that's got a strong mind, a strong determination, that's got some conviction about her. Strong minded, we don't mean stubborn. <laughs> There's a difference between being strong minded and stubborn. Stubborn is when you've got your mindset on something, not going to let anything change you, whether you're right or wrong, you won't listen to anybody. Now that's stubborn and that's not good. (laughs) But it's certainly a tremendous asset when a man has a wife that's got some conviction to her that's got a strong mind and a strong will. You know, Cheryl's about the best any girl I ever met back when I was young and dating and all. That's one thing attracted me to her. But you know that it's of great value to a husband to have a wife like that. Now a husband when he first gets married he won't be the head of the house. He wants his wife to agree with him on everything and all like that. But that's not necessarily good. <laughs> he wants your wife to agree with you all the time. She needs to stand for what's right. She needs to be reverent to you. and You need to treat her with love and honor and things like that. But sometimes, you know, a wife needs to say, "Hun, I think you're wrong about this. I think you're wrong about this. And you ought to be willing to listen. You ought to value a wife that's that way. Not one that's opinionated to, to her own selfish desires. But a woman that really wants to do what's right, and wants to help you do what's right, and maybe she's got some aid and help to you somewhere along the way. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Yeah, she should have got me a crown to put up here on my head. Right? But the crown's not on the head. The crown is is the wife. She is a great value to her husband. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies proverbs 31 verse 10 11 the heart of her husband thus safely in her and he'll fear no spoil all the days of his life this kind of a woman is more valuable than a big bank account this kind of a woman is more valuable than a job that brings lots of money in for you sure price is far above rubies says who can find a virtuous woman and they are they're not on every corner I guarantee you that boys If you're looking for a virtuous woman for a wife it's not just any girl that comes along I think we got a number of wonderful young ladies in the church and older ones too but uh, you need you need to think about that Ruth is referred to as a virtuous woman Uh, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11 here Boaz says for all people that are around here know that thou art a virtuous woman think about Ruth now, she's a Moabite. We talked about the Moabites a little bit this morning. Ruth was from, from Moab. Her mother-in-law's name was Naoma. And Naomi and her husband and two boys moved into Moab when there was a drought, a famine in Israel. They heard there was food and all in there, and things were growing up there. So they went up there, and they're up there for a while. Naomi's husband dies. Her two boys die. They had married by this time to a couple of Moabite women the the drought was now over in Israel Naomi says I'm going back home you girls my daughter-in-law is here your husbands are dead you're young you'll want to marry again so uh, y'all I'll just leave y'all here where you've been raised and all and both of them said no we'll go with you one of them's name was Peninnah you might need to check me out on that but the other's name was Ruth (laughs) Uh, and Ruth says I'll not turn back Says, your God will be my God. Where thou liest, that's where I'll lie. Where you go, that's where I'll go. And says, You'll, I'll not depart from you. Here Ruth had a strong will. She had a strong mind. Strong determination. A, a sense of loyalty to Naomi. And perhaps a, had learned about this God that Naomi believed in. And had a conviction there. And she made her mind up. I'm going with you. They're going back to Poverty. Naomi's got nothing left in this land that she that she left. Oh, there was some land back there, but stuff's all, you know, pretty well out of pocket. Get back there and they're very poor. Ruth said, I'll take care of that. She got out and gleaned in the fields. Now gleaning is when you go through a field, orchard, or something, and you I have to watch these glasses with steps. <laughs> Bifocals pervert the distance down there. But Ruth Uh, uh, someone that gleaned was someone that went after the harvest was done and whatever crops was left, fruit was left, whatever wheat was left, and things like that, then they were allowed to gather that. As a matter of fact, the Israelites were instructed not to gather all of the fruit off of the tree and that the corners of your field don't, don't harvest those, leave those for the poor people, people that need to come along. And so Ruth gets out there, works with her hands, labors with her hands, gets out, and of course you remember the story eventually, she marries Boaz, and they have a son by the name of Obed uh, that had a son by the name of Jesse, who had a son by the name of David, <laughs> king of Israel. But Ruth was a woman that had a strong conviction. She was going to do what's right and make the best of whatever the circumstances were. And that's what virtue is. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This, this is a passage that I equate in my mind with the word virtue, lots of times. Be steadfast, unmovable. That's First Corinthians 15, verse 58. Now, steadfast and unmovable are similar words. But steadfastness has more of an internal determination to it. Unmovable means don't let outside influences affect you. And, of course, they're real similar in meaning. The Bible says in Colossians 1, verse uh, 23, continue grounded and settled, and be not moved. First Thessalonians 3, verse 8, Stand fast in the Lord. That's being steadfast. The word steadfast means to stand fast. Hebrews 3, verse 14 says, We're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You see, we need that determination. Be steadfast. First Peter 5, verse 8, Everybody's probably familiar with that verse. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour, the next verse, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Be determined that you're not going to let evil influences affect you. Ephesians uh, chapter t- uh, 6, verses 10 through 18 describe the Christian soldier. It talks about the armor he has on, his breastplate of righteousness, he has a sword of the spirit, and the uh, feet shod with preparation of the gospel. It talks about this different armor that the Christian soldier should wear. Of course, their characteristics. And then he said, having done all to stand, stand therefore. When you've prepared yourself done everything you can, then make your stand and stand for what's right. And that's basically what the word virtue means. It means the determination to stay in there. So like I said, steadfastness probably refers to the set of the mind. It refers to the internal determination. Whereas unmovable refers to outside influences and all. And we certainly shouldn't let things from the outside move us, should we? Um, Galatians chapter 1. The Galatian churches in Galatia. Galatia was an area. It wasn't a town. There were a number of churches in Galatia. Lystra, Iconium, Derby, Antioch, Pisidia. All these were towns that were in this Galatia area or Roman province, whatever it was. He writes to them in chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him. That's called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there's some that would trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that you've received, let him be accursed. So that even if an angel appears, be steadfast, don't let it affect you. Joseph Smith should listen to that. Because he claims this angel came and brought him a renewed gospel and all. And he started a big denominational group Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 here the writer writer says this that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive you when you talk about outside influences of false teaching and immoral influences and things like that he said don't be don't be like a leaf that's caught in the wind you know, a leaf that's caught in the wind, whichever way the wind's blowing, that's where the leaf goes. If the wind comes from the south, well, the wind will go that way. If it comes from north, the north, the leaf will go that way, you know, with, with the wind. And he says, don't be that way in your doctrinal standards, your doctrinal beliefs and convictions. Be steadfast. Don't be carried about with every wind of doctrine that comes along. A similar thought in James chapter 1, where he talks about the waves of the sea and how they're driven with the wind, you know. Whichever way the wind is going, that's the way the waves of the sea go. And here he says a person that goes this way, and then that way is double-minded, the way James puts it. They don't have a strong conviction and a steadfast determination. And that's what the word virtue is talking about. Uh, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, Let no man be moved by these afflictions. And afflictions and troubles come. The Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Second Timothy three twelve, And when it comes to evil influences and all, the Bible says abhor that which is evil. Romans 12, and verse 9, abstain from the very appearance of evil. Don't let any of those things affect you. Be determined. Have your mind made up. Now, there's examples in the Bible of, those, of people that were really exhibited virtue. You know, in, in verse three of this Second Peter chapter one, he says we're called by merger, uh, by a call to uh, ma- majesty and virtue. I think is the word that you uh, phrase that's used there. And basically, what this means, we are called by the virtue of Christ, His virtue. And think about think about what Jesus went through, starting off with this ministry in Luke chapter four and Matthew chapter four. He went up into a mountain, and the devil appeared. Jesus was hungry after forty days. He said, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then he took him up on a high pinnacle of the temple. He said, cast yourself down, because it's written that not a bone of your body will be broken. Jesus again said, it is written. And that's a good way to be steadfast, to know what's written, you know. And depend upon what's written, he says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, he, he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. It says, all these are mine to give you if you'll fall, fall down and worship me. Now, you've got to remember, the devil's a liar. John 8, 44. I don't know that he could give him all the kingdoms of the world. The devil's a liar. <laughs> he's a father of it. If you won't believe anything this devil says, you'll be right practically all the time. Because he's a liar. So I don't know that he could give Jesus all the kingdoms were but nonetheless jesus said it's written thou shalt worship the lord thy god and him only shalt thou serve so jesus showed this steadfast and when he came to his death upon the cross he didn't want to suffer those things physically any more than you and i would in the garden of gethsemane he prayed father if it be possible let this pass from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done jesus was determined to do what the father wanted done even if something he didn't want to endure so realizing, understanding this, that it was God's will that he die upon the cross, he did. He did, and he suffered that terrible, agonizing death upon the cross. Someone says, let him, let him call on, on Elijah now, or let him call on his God or something, see if he'll deliver him. He could have done that. But he didn't do that. He had his mind set to do what God wanted him to do. And his virtue is something that calls you and I, that has an appeal to you and I, and ought to motivate you and I. We need that kind of virtue, don't we? Another example, and this is one that uh, really, you hear a lot of preaching on, his name, young guy by the name of David. He was a young fellow. Does the Bible say 17 years of age? I don't think it says that, but it says he was ruddy of countenance, and he was, but, he was a youth the Israelites are up on one mountain, the Philistines are on another mountain, they'd come down to the valley and fight. That's the way they did that. that. And now the Philistines, they had a giant. His name was Goliath. Pretty close to estimates, he's about ten foot tall. Now I see some tall basketball players. I've never seen one ten foot tall. This man not only, this Goliath not only was a man very tall, but he was a, man of war a soldier from his youth up he'd been trained he was very strong he was very mighty he come down that valley he said tell Israel just send somebody down to fight with me why don't we just get two, me and someone else involved in this and let that settle this and not let everybody be killed in all these battles That's basically what he had in mind of course you know what he had in mind he didn't think anybody could could match him and nobody came nobody arose to go down that valley and fight David was there heard this Philistine and he every morning he would come down and make this challenge David he says who is this Philistine that he dares defy the armies of the living God who's this guy think he is and he told the king he says don't worry about this king I'll take care of this so said, you're 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 but a young man You have no experience in these things. He says, God delivered a bear into my hand. He delivered a lion into my hand. He'll deliver that Philistine into my hand, too. (laughs) Oh, his brothers got jealous of that. He had three brothers that were in the army that were older than he. They got jealous. Oh, says, you just left the sheep out there to come down to see the battle. That's all you've done. Of course, his father sent him down there with food for his brothers and food for their captain also anyway, the word got around to King Saul. And King Saul finally said, well, okay, go ahead. Let's see what happens. David went out to meet Goliath. Goliath says, am I a dog? You send a child out to fight with me? He said, come on, I'll give you a flesh to the birds of the air. The Bible says David was very careful. And he slipped around this side and around that side. Is that what he did? No. The Bible says he ran at him. That's what David did. God said, here I coming to he ran at him don't you think that's probably a shock to Goliath this young boy come raring at him <laughs> he had a slingshot you know what a slingshot is you get a little leather pouch of some kind of cloth pouch with a couple of th- strings or thongs on it and you hold on to them and you get that rock swinging and then you release it and let it go they say that thing can leave that pouch at 200 miles an hour now guess what David didn't take the sword and the shield and the armor the King Saul offered him because he said, I haven't proved it. Never, He never had used armor like that in fighting. But he knew what a slingshot was. He knew what a slingshot was. Because he used a slingshot time after time again in taking care of the sheep. And you know how young boys are like that. Didn't have anything to do. Probably just spent his time slinging that rock, seeing if he could hit that tree, you know my dad used to get aggravated with me when we were working in jerry will you quit throwing rocks at these fence posts we got a f- we got fence to build here you know you don't have boys are huh? now god helped guide that stone i know that but David's pretty good with that stone anyway he was using what he was familiar with what he thought he could function with that stone hit goliath in the head knocked him out David ran over and pulled the man's sword out, cut his head off. That's all there was to it. Now there's virtue. There's virtue. Who is this Philistine, uncircumcised Philistine, that he dares to defy the armies of the living God? He had determination. He, had, he was steadfast. David was. And, of course, David became a great king in Israel. There are the apostles. Think about what they did. After the day of Pentecost, they were preaching, teaching in the temple. The Jewish leaders called them aside and told them not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, should we obey God or man? They went And they were threatened. Well, they went right back out and started preaching again. And the Jewish leaders were told, those men that you told not to preach anymore, well, they're doing it again. They went and brought them in again. And Peter basically said the same thing. Should we obey God or man? And of course, they beat them. Turned the loose. You know what they did? Went right out and preached again. They had their mind set, regardless what's going to happen, they were going to do what's right and stand for what's right. Of course, we could talk about Paul and his life. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And Paul was full of virtue, wasn't he? Paul didn't seem to be afraid of anyone in standing up for what was right, even if he had to suffer in the process. The last example I'd like to call to your mind, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3 is a real interesting story. They were Jewish, young Jewish men, Jewish boys, and they had been carried into Babylonian captivity like many of the young, young boys and all were. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. Many, many of the Israelites have been killed, put to death. A lot of them were carried back in chains to captivity. A lot of them volunteered to surrender to the Babylonians because that's what Jeremiah told them to do. If you want to live, you surrender to the Babylonians. In the process, there's these three young men and they had another buddy by the name of Daniel, the four young men. <laughs> but this story in Daniel chapter 3 is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men. Well, there was a golden image put up Now I don't know if the image was of Nebuchadnezzar or someone else a big tall golden image put up about nine foot tall if I remember right y'all can check that out on the cubits and all figure about a foot and a half to the cubits you'll get pretty close and they said now anytime you hear the sound of the trumpet and the flute and, the, and the, well all these different instruments you when you hear that fall down and worship that image now, there were some of the Babylonians did not like these Jewish children or any of the Jews. And they told Nebuchadnezzar, said, hey, three men important in your, in your kingdom, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they don't fall down and worship this image. And Nebuchadnezzar said, bring them forth, bring them forth. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now, when you hear the sound of this music, if you will to fall down and worship that image, nothing will happen. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Then we'll see if your God can help you. You know what they said? They said, we will not fall down and worship that image. And if God will save us, fine. But, but if not, we will not worship that image. And we will not, you know, get involved with your God and all. I heard a guy preach on that one time. He called it the but if not faith. The kind of faith as well. I've got faith in God if He helps me find but if He doesn't, I'm gonna do what's right anyway. Gonna do what's right anyway. You and I need to be that way. We all face problems and troubles sometimes. We pray that the Lord will help us out of those troubles and problems, whether they're health problems, economic problems, or family problems, or church problems, or whatever they are. Sometimes for whatever reason God sees fit to do certain things and to leave some of these problems sometimes he doesn't the why and the wherefores we may not know and if God helps us that's fine but if not we're not going to give up anyway we're going to stand for what's right and that basically seems to be what the word virtue here means conviction determination steadfastness strength of mind and spirit that will enable you to withstand any kind of problems and all that you face the lesson is yours if you're here this evening you'd like to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins we certainly like to encourage you to do that now I know usually we sing invitation songs at the end of services and we have a habit of just standing up getting the book and singing along and that's good to do that but if you need to do something about your soul don't just take it for granted respond to the invitation be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and you can start off with a little virtue, the determination to do what you ought to do for the salvation of your soul. So if you're here this afternoon and you desire to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you desire the prayers of the church, either one, we invite you to come host and sing the song Selected.